BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Pedrosian throws to Sandberg and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it. Throws to first. It's over. 27. Welcome back to the Thompson to Clark, a Giants podcast. Myself, Double G, and my good friend, Brad. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, back from vacation. I was about to say, like, how was the vacation? That was nice, man. We went to South Lake Tahoe. Um, We only live probably about 30 minutes away or so from North Lake Tahoe. So it's kind of a treat to head down to South Lake Tahoe every now and then. Uh, that's about an hour drive. And, uh, it's, I mean, I, I'm sure you've been to both North and South. Yeah. South is definitely the tourist area. That, sure. That's pretty much, you got the bigger casinos, you've got Emerald Bay, you've got all that. So, you know, during COVID vacation is always a little different. So there was a lot of pool sitting by the pool, hanging out, had the, um, had the iPhone cranked up there to some baseball games, um, you know, checking scores and everything else. So it was good. It was a, it was a nice fall break. We get fall break here in Nevada. I don't know how you guys get that for school, how that, how that works, but yeah, good question. I don't even know. You guys don't get a break during the fall. Um, Just go straight on through to Christmas. I would assume that something is coming. Yeah. Something's <laughs> gotta be coming. I mean, like I, you know, if, if you asked me like what the date was, I would have to think about it for about you know, uh, a half a minute. <laughs> well, you so, got an Apple watch. Just look at your yeah. Apple watch. <laughs> Something's coming. Uh, something has to come, I, I, I guess. Right. Unless we started late and they kind of baked that into starting late. I don't uh, know. That's true. Yeah, we Maybe. did. We started on time and we just get this. We, we're not huge fans of it and we weren't at the beginning. Um, but it's not bad. Uh, it's kind of cool because you, you start school, you get about a month and a half into it and all of a sudden you get a week off. So going to Disneyland is always our fall break thing, mm-hmm. uh, but that's closed. Um, yeah. We love to do that because the Halloween time in Disneyland is always a lot of fun. Uh, and so we had tickets for that. And so we're able to hold those over till next year. Um, and then we're able to get uh, a cool place down in um, South Tahoe. So, so yeah, that was nice. We, we enjoyed it. And then Eddie Van Halen died. 
Yeah, I know. Two days into it, and my mood switched there I, for a day the fir- or two. You were the first person I texted. Oh, that was brutal, man. He just uh, that that guy. All of a sudden, just all the memories of growing up listening to his music and and Van Halen, still my favorite band to this day. All of those just kind of kind of came flooding back there for a day, and I was like, Denise is like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to be all right, but just need to crank up some Van Halen, and have a couple beers, and get it out." So. Okay, so here, here's a question yeah. that I don't even know if we can answer, but we are both diehard sports fans. Right. We are diehard music fans. And I don't know how you are with sort of like movie and TV celebrities, but I, I, I mean, I am a definitely big time into, into pop culture in that way. Yeah. But I don't know why it feels like when the artist, when the music artist dies, that just hits me a lot more than when, say, an athlete I grew up watching passes away. I think, now for me, I can speak for me on this. <clears throat> so when Eddie passed, it was, there were a lot of firsts in my life that revolved around Van Halen. You know, not, not only just first concert, um, first the first day I got my license when I was 16, uh, the first tape I chose to put in the tape deck as I drove away from the house free, a free, I shouldn't say man, I was 16, mm-hmm. a free boy, um, was Van Halen two. Mm. So I had put that in there and I cranked it up, drove down. So, so many firsts are involved with that. Music is always kind of playing in the background for me. Um, when I need to get something done, when I need to concentrate, it's Van Halen. When I need to get almost anything done, it's pretty much Van Halen. Um, so I think that's just one of those things that's like, wow, all the magazines I collected when I was a kid were the interviews with him in it, mm-hmm. all the uh, TV shows that he was on, uh, interview shows and whatnot that they played on, uh, all that stuff I still have on VHS tape. So I think, I think for me, that's kind of how, how it is. And, and with the athletes, it's kind of like, you know, most of them pass when they're in their 80s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. late 70s early 80s for for Eddie 65 had cancer so that was like man you know they were supposed to tour last year that didn't come together because he was sick uh so a lot of a lot of things just kind of feel undone i think is what it is when athletes pass usually they've retired from the sport um and you're like oh wow yeah they had you know great careers uh, loved those guys growing up and so so i think for me that that's the difference so um there was a, another passing in, in the sports world that we'll talk about in a second as it does relate to the Giants. But you had mentioned the Apple Watch, and that is something that we both have. Right. And ever since you got yours, I, I not, not to say that I wasn't addicted before, but I'm even more closely addicted to this watch because I am so adamant in... in um, closing out all of my activity rings like that's like a real goal for me every day like if like if i see that i'm kind of running behind on my stands like i'm very much paying attention to standing (laughs) up so you know not not that this relates to the giants in any way but you know you just got an apple watch as well you you asked me about it if i liked it you know i know you you had a fitbit i I quizzed you on it i didn't ask you i quizzed (laughs) you on everything about it because i had to know before i pop them they're not cheap no so i was like man i had a fitbit for years it was a 200 hundred dollar one it was the uh, the versa they kept killing it fitbit kills their devices with their um 
firmware updates. And mm-hmm. so it killed one of my devices. I got another one. I had to beg for them to give it to me for free because I'd only had the other one for like 18 months. Mm. Um, so they sent it to me and I was always afraid to do a firmware update on that. So finally I said, you know what? I'm going to go into the real world here and get myself an Apple watch. Um, I really like it. And every time I see you finish an activity or, or a workout, I'm like, God, (laughs) I got to get up and do something because I don't want to, he's looking at my rings and I'm looking at his rings going, man, he's, his, his are all closed. Mine are half open. And here I am sitting at the, on the couch having a beer. So yeah. Well, you were on vacation, so you, you have an excuse. And (laughs) I think, I think we're going to try and see what a, what a challenge is uh, and how to do a challenge on the watch. So that'll be the next thing between the both of us. So oh, we'll yeah. get we'll get that. Maybe we'll update folks on how that works. But okay, so let's uh, let's dig into the normal intro of what our show is usually, which is what are you drinking? Well, speaking of vacation, so <clears throat> I had my fill on vacation as I do, and I think I've talked about this on another show. Uh, we had gone somewhere for a week and uh, or a weekend. Um, when I get back from vacation, cause you're sitting by the pool and I'm popping the four percenters and the four and a half percent beers. And, and then you get to the room at night and you have a bourbon or the, you know, wife opens a bottle of wine. So I'm trying to go back to limiting myself during the week again. So for the podcast today, I had something, I'm having something that I've done before, uh, on the show and I'm having Kentucky best, um, straight bourbon whiskey from Trader Joe's. It's the 40%, so it's 80 proof. Uh, it's got a nice little uh, charred flavor to it. I like it. So I put it in uh, with the Zevia uh, decaf cola. Um, and then I went ahead and I bought some Angostura bitters. And so it came with a bottle of orange uh, bitters. So I thought, oh, I'll throw a couple splashes in that. So that added a little bit uh, flavor to it. I'm not a mixologist, but I just thought, you know, let me try this. And I told Denise, Hey, this is what I did. And she goes, Oh my God, that sounds awful. I said, no, it's actually <laughs> pretty. I had to wait to take a sip and I go, it's oh, not bad, but, uh, so that's what I'm hitting today. Trying to clean up a little bit from last week. So I have a, a Japanese Suntory whiskey. I believe the, the style is called Toki. Um, the one that I know that a lot of people really enjoy and is like the next level up in, in price is called the Hibiki, but the Tori is is very good as well. I, you know, we, we've mentioned that my palate is not uh, too hoity-toity at this at this point in my whiskey career. I imagine as I get older, maybe it will be. But I had it uh, last night. I had it neat. And it was excellent. And then today I have it with uh, with an ice cube, which is still good, but I think I enjoy it a little bit more neat style. So, uh, yeah. So Japanese whiskey. If I if I'm at a uh, if I'm at a, at a like a nice restaurant or a bar and they have some sort of Japanese whiskey, that's usually my go to when it comes to to whiskey. So yeah, I enjoyed it, or I am currently enjoying it, but yeah, it, it's it's really good. And then the next level up is obviously probably worth it. It's just when I went to the to the store, I didn't see that one. So I just bought this one, which was, I mean, still, you know, decent, 30, 35 bucks a bottle. Um, and then the next one I think is closer to 60. So that's that's what you're talking about spending. Yeah. But this was, this was, this is totally fine. I'm going to have to give that a shot. Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> anytime you get into the like, $30, $35 range, that's when I have to think about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, 
I don't know if I want to spend that much because I, I do like my, you know, I do like my, uh, uh, Evan Williams bottled in bond, which is like, I don't know, $15. I do like my wild Turkey one hundred and one, which is 11 bucks. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I didn't find those just because of the price point. I think I gravitated towards those because I kept looking at, you know, what, what has great reviews? What has won all these? I, I like blind taste tests. What have won blind taste tests? And those two just keep coming out on top. And, and then I saw the price point. I was like, man, okay, well, you can't go wrong. So then when I pay 35 bucks for a bottle of whiskey, I go, well, if it's not better than these other two, will I buy it again? So that's kind of how I go with it. All right, so I mentioned this when we were talking about Van Halen. The person who, uh, the the Major League Baseball player who who passed away today also has ties to the Giants, better known as uh, part of the Big Red Machine with the Cincinnati Reds, and then after his baseball career as an announcer, not only on Sunday Night Baseball with on ESPN with John Miller, but more locally, you and I heard... Mr. Joe Morgan a lot as we were kind of getting older and watching the Giants. But yeah, Joe Morgan passed away today. I was uh, I was really bummed out. You know, we're getting to the age where you and I are actually, you know, there are people in our in our baseball lives who we watched play and then, you know, you see, you know, it's been, it's been Tom Seaver, it's been Lou Brock. Those guys are a little bit before. Yeah. But but still like when, you know, Morgan I I I grew up you know, watching Giants baseball and Morgan is on a lot of these telecasts uh, in just, you know, explaining certain things about playing the middle infielder. And I was a middle infielder growing up. So I'm just like soaking in everything he's talking about when it comes to playing the middle infield. And then, you know, more most famously for Giants fans, I think in 1982, he hits the home run to knock the Dodgers out of the uh, out of the playoff race. And, you know that I think that for for Giants fans, people who are a little bit older than me and you, that's like a, a really good highlight. Because post, you know, post seventy one, there wasn't really many great uh, Giants highlights until that point, and then until the later eighties. So yeah, I was really bummed out when I saw Joe Morgan passed away today, seventy seven years old. That yeah, and and like you said, we are getting up to that age now. We're <clears throat> starting to see a lot of these older guys go. And I know Dusty Baker, you know, is managing a, a game today, uh, game two of the ALCS, and and they asked him during it, you know, uh, you know, how you doing? He's he was one of your best, uh, one of your best friends there in, in the game, and he said, yeah, you know, he's he's watching over me. A lot of guys are watching over me this year that have passed, and. Um, you know, heavy heart today. And so you could tell, you know, he was broken up. Um, one of those guys, man, it's just, you know, uh, in 1981, uh, when I remember just becoming a Giants fan uh, around that time, I'd gone to a game, foul ball, um, or actually, I think it was a batting practice foul ball. I was down the line. My grandparents had taken me to a game and I had picked it up and they go, Hey, that's a, that's Joe Morgan hit that. So I have a Joe Morgan. I don't know where it's at. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, many years later, I still have it. I have a couple of buckets of baseballs in the garage and I'm sure one of them is, is one of them. Um, but, but that was one of the first foul balls I can remember getting. Um, when he came to the giants, you know, in 81, he was 37. So he was up yeah. there. Um, but but always fun to look back at the stats and numbers, and I know you were talking about him being an on base machine. And yeah, what a, what a base what a back of the baseball card uh, career he had. 
Yeah, it's insane. I mean, when, when you look at the the Reds, I mean, he was the you know, one of the table setters for the big red machine, back-to-back MVPs mm-hmm. uh, in the National League, 75 and 76. Um, but when you look at those big red machine teams, um, you had mentioned that. So I had to look. And from 72 to 77, uh, four times in those years, they were first in the National League on on-base percentage as a team, uh, second once and fourth once. Um, and that's how you win championships back in those days. Get on base, drive in runs. And he scored 100 runs, let's see, six times, uh, over 100 runs, six years in a row from 72 to 77. Um just one of those, you know, just one of those great baseball players from the 70s, um, Hall of Famer. And then, yeah, like you said, when we were growing up later, the the game I remember, and, and I didn't have, what, what was that? What was, uh, what was the Gi- Giants Vision? Giants right? Vision, yeah. Giants, I didn't have that growing up. We didn't have a cable where I was in Santa Clara for some reason. Um, so we didn't have that. I didn't have cable until 95. Um so leading up to that, all my Giants games were whatever was on KTVU. Or How did the, you watch MTV? I didn't. I didn't know oh anything. <laughs> I go to friends' houses. <laughs> yeah, everybody's, you know, I, I had this girlfriend in, uh, oh God, what was that? 80, 85. And see, this is, this, this is how big of an influence Van Halen has been on my life because I can remember what year it was because I know exactly what had happened. Dave had just left Van Halen. Mm-hmm. So it was 1985 and the California girls video, um, and Van Halen had, so 86 Van Halen had gotten together with Sammy Hagar and their videos were starting to come out. But, uh, I would go to her house, uh, her apartment and watch, um, watch uh, videos over there. So I was like 11, 12 years old, yeah. hanging out at her house. Thir- no, I was about 15, 14, 15. So hanging out at their house and, and watching these videos and stuff. And that's how I got, <laughs> that's how I got MTV. I didn't yeah. have it. Yeah, yeah, know yeah. It. No. no I didn't a- M- oh, MTV. Friday night videos. Friday night. There you videos. go. There, there you go. go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, okay, so just a couple more things about Joe. The things that stood out to me, I, I mentioned, you know, the, the on-base percentage. When he won the MVP, his uh, first MVP in 1975, he walked 132 times, hit 327, still drove in 94 runs, and had a 466 on base percentage. He would actually improve the power numbers the next year, though the on base would come down ever so slightly. Uh, he hit 27 jacks, 111 RBI, walked 114 times, 444 on base. So he leads he leads the league in on base again. And then he also leads the league in slugging at 5'7 and 165 pounds or whatever he was. He slugs over 570 OPS at 1.020, leads leads the, uh, the league in OPS as well. And then that's the second of his back-to-back MVP wins. So in that, in that, that, that range of years you were talking about with uh, the Big Red Machine, so 19, starting at 1972 and going to 1977, his career starts to fall off right about that 30, age 33 mark. But still, from that run, that six-year run, he is obviously an all-star all six years. He is, uh, in addition to winning those two MVPs, he's got three other years where he's in the top 10, including two top five finishes. 
And then four, uh, no, five gold gloves. And we know, you know, back then, sometimes gold glove could be more about your um, reputation right. as you get older. You know, Derek Jeter wins a gold glove and, you know, he, he's moving two steps to his left and two steps to his right by the end there. Um, but uh, but yeah, just, uh, you know, one of the classic players, because when you're if, if you're our age and you're getting into baseball, the way that we got into baseball wasn't the Internet. We didn't have the Internet. We were watching some games, but there was like a game a week. And then our home team, the only way we'd get to watch them is when they're on the road. So we're only listening to games. And so really, it's like this week in baseball or uh, buying baseball books with tons of stats and, and tons of essays on certain players. And so the way to learn about Morgan when you and I are growing up is literally just digging through like baseball cards and statistics and you know, ESPN comes in a little bit later and they have these old World Series videos <laughs> where where they're narrated. And so it makes the World Series feel like the biggest thing in the world. And so we can watch some of those 70s teams uh, and, 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 and really learn the importance of the players. But, yeah, like that's kind of how we would learn about guys back in the day. And that's how I learned about Joe Morgan, in addition to some of the stories from his two year stay with the Giants. Well, and it was cool, too, because <clears throat> I got off on a tangent there when we were talking about MTV. But, you know, when he was doing the Giants Vision games, um, there was a game that I went to in 1987. I still have that ticket um, where Candy Maldonado it's, it's against the Astros, Candlestick Park, 1987. Candy Maldonado comes up in the bottom of the ninth. The Giants are down 3-2. He hits a solo line drive home run just over the chain link fence in center. Um, and then Will Clark comes up and hits that upper decker shot. So back to back. And, you know, I'm at the ballpark. I'm down the first baseline. So I get a great shot of Will Clark's home run. Crowd's going crazy. Um I never knew I never knew of the call that Joe Morgan actually made on that one. And if you go back and watch it, uh, when Will Clark hits that home run, Joe Morgan just screams, it's all over. It's all <laughs> over. And uh, now that's like a very famous uh, Giants call for Giants fans. But at the time, I mean, probably for like 20 years, I had no idea about that call until, you know, uh, YouTube comes along and the internet comes along and I'm able to go back and see those clips. So, uh, that's one of my memories of, of him as a broadcaster. Jo uh, Joe is, cool. an, uh, um, more color commentator than play by play. Yeah. Uh, he'll be remembered more, more that way. But yeah. And I, I don't know how he had the play by play in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> but if I can find that, I will, I will, uh, cut a clip of it and we'll put that up on our Instagram or our YouTube page. And yeah, that'd be awesome. All right. So, um, the one other thing I wanted to point out, so his last really good season is in 1982 when he's 38 years old, plays 134 games with the Giants, uh, hits 14 jacks, 61 RBI, 24 stolen bases at the age of 38. He had only, he was only caught four times and he still walked 85 times. So he had a 400 on base percentage in his age 38 season, hits 289. And, you know, that was a pretty good Giants team. Like, they really competed until, you know, the last couple of series of that season. And he's a, he was a big part of that. 
he won the silver slugger for, for that year at second base. Yeah. And the funny thing is too, I mean, when you look at, you know, his virtual baseball card, as we call it now on baseballreference.com, mm-hmm. um, when you look at it, you know, only being a giant for two years, he's known as one of the great giants. I mean, yeah. just because of that home run um, and just because of him being a broadcaster with the Giants after that as well. So that that's kind of the fun thing to look at. Um, and, the, and the interesting thing is he spent most of his years with the Houston Astros, mm-hmm. something he won't necessarily be remembered for uh, because he didn't really come into his own until the Cincinnati years and then winning those MVPs, winning those world series titles that definitely puts you in that lore. So he will always be remembered as a, as a Cincinnati red, but giants fans, we always will hold a a place in our heart for Joe Morgan because of his ties also to dusty Baker um, and just the organization in general. When you look at Houston, he does play nine years for Houston. The first two are, are partial years and he is uh, at the age of 19 and 20. Those are his first two years. He barely plays, but at his age 21 season, it is the Houston Astros. The previous two seasons were the Colt 45s. So he plays nine years there. He picks up with Cincinnati, and he plays from 72 to 79. Goes back to Houston for the 1980 season, and then finishes up with the Giants, the Phillies, and his hometown, Oakland A's. And he uh, that's when he finished his career at his age 40 season. So that's Joe Morgan. Yeah, and he had uh, – so so with Cincinnati, he played 100 and – about 120-ish, uh, 122 more games with the Reds than he did the Astros and Colt 45. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's for sure going to always be remembered as a Red, so – um, one of the greats, uh, another passing, and uh, you know we wish the family well. All right, so let's talk about uh, some of the other things going on, which is the NLCS and the ALCS. The ALCS is already two games into it, and the uh, America's team, the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, <laughs> <laughs> are two and zero. I love that. Again. Against Houston, so they won the first two games. Dodgers and the Braves are kind of going on in the background here, but uh, yeah, I was I was kind of I, I was kind of looking at this both series as okay. How do we like? How do we beat the Dodgers? Like that's <laughs> yeah. the only thing that I'm really thinking. That's our goal. <laughs> yeah, and so we've been talking about Tampa Bay. You had them beating the Yankees. I had the Yankees winning, but you know, the, in a five game series, that thing was tight. Uh, it went all the way to the last game, and 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 so that was a tight series. But you know, if the Rays can beat the Dodgers, then I'm all for it. I just thought that I just thought the Yankees had the best shot just because of their offense. But you look at the Rays, you look at the Astros, you look at the Braves. Out of those three teams, you know, which teams have really good shots at beating the Dodgers? Do you think? I I have to go Tampa Bay. I wouldn't be shocked if the Braves. The Braves have been having a weird season, right? I mean, I mean, they just they've been having one of those seasons where nobody talks about them. They've been just kind of cruising along in their division. Then, then nobody picked them against the Reds, myself included, um, because they thought, well, Cincinnati's going to shut down their their hitting, no problem. Well, they cruise right past Cincinnati, um, 
And then here they are. I mean, here they are in the NLCS against the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't think the Braves care about any of that stuff. I don't think they care, you know, how tough the Dodgers are. They just play their game. They hit the ball hard. They hit the ball very hard. They pitch well. They have a great bullpen. Um, I really do think that the Braves are going to win this series. It could be a seven-game series, six-game series. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I hate the Dodgers. <laughs> I'm saying that because nobody's thought the Braves could do anything once they hit the playoffs. They Nobody picked them to get past the first round. So here they are. I think they got a chip on their shoulder. The Dodgers have the... You know the world in front of them. This is their year. I yeah, all over Twitter, everybody's already crowning them after the the Lakers won last night. Oh, they say, "Hey, Dodgers are next. Here we go, back to back basketball, baseball." And that can't count out the Braves just quite yet. Or you know, if the Rays move on, which they're up two games to none right now. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't see the Dodgers as that powerhouse at this point right here. So one of the things that's interesting is this series is being played in uh, in the the new Texas stadium. So there's fans there. Like I, I'm watching this game, going like, "What the hell is going on?" Like there's actual people in the stands. And unfortunately for the other side, for the uh, the Astros and the Rays, because they're in California. There's no regulation as far as having uh, fans. I, th- I think in I think in uh, the new the new Rangers ballpark, I think you can put up to eleven thousand five hundred, and so I don't know if that's how many people are there. But basically, what they're doing is they are selling tickets in fours, and then when they have those four seats. Then they socially distance to the next series of four seats. So they're calling them like pods of four. (laughs) And so any seat that is not being used, somehow they're uh, they're like uh, using some sort of um, I don't know if it's a wire or whatever, but they're pulling them up and and tightening them. So so no one can sit in them so that they don't ruin the social distancing laws. You have to wear masks. There's a three strike policy for mask people who want to pull down their masks if they get up to three strikes then then they're out of the out of the park and they have you know they they have people watching um but here's a a couple other interesting facts so there are lots of things designed to limit touch points and close interactions so the ticket pedestals are, are there so fans can scan their own ticket. You don't need a ticket taker. Uh, doors are propped open, so you don't actually have to go through a door or open a door. Everything's just open. There's a no bag policy so that you know people don't need to be checking your bags to see what you're bringing into the thing. Uh, every concession has pre-packed food, so you don't you know you're not there, there's no handling of of open or or. Uh, you know, food that you're pulling out of the the broiler or whatever. And then um, everyone who's on the stadium staff is given a test. Now, the I think the PPE test, is that the saliva test? You know, I'm not I'm not quite sure. And every state is so different. And the way Texas does things, I I can't even imagine what test that's going to be in how yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that that's the that's the scary thing to me is that it's actually in texas but that's the only reason they're able to have fans so (laughs) um yeah in georgia georgia football this past weekend 
They pack the stands. Yeah, they, they don't care down it's there. Ridiculous. And, and then in uh, Florida, Florida yeah. they're talking about the Miami Dolphins. You know, hey, open it up. And, uh, you know, the governor said, well, one, one of these days, pretty soon, I don't know if it's going to be next week or what, but they're going to allow full 65,000 fans into their football stadiums for games. Yeah, I hope the NFL is pretty <laughs> consistent in like saying like, nope. Like, even though you can do that, we're still going to be really strict on what we're allowing. Right. Um, because, you know, I think they're only allowing, you know, maybe less than 20 at this point. So, yeah. It's... And then the, the only other thing really is uh, all transactions are cashless and they don't they don't really want tailgating, but it doesn't say it's pro. Uh, it actually does say tailgating is prohibited. So they're trying to discourage all of that stuff. So we are in a new world. If what I wonder, though is how much of this stuff that they're doing to eliminate the the touch points, how much of that becomes regular when we come back? Like are ticket takers like out of a job now when everything is just <laughs> electronic through your phone? Well, and I was talking to my wife about that too, because, uh, you know, being at, uh, we were in South Tahoe at this really nice hotel and it's always a fight to get seats around the pool. But, but the nice thing about this trip is you had to go in to the to the booth inside the pool and you had to check in and you had to say we want four seats and they go okay uh what do you want sun you want shade or we want full sun okay you're over there uh do you want those yeah that's perfect cool check in there you go those are your seats for the day so there and, and i thought i really hope they kind of hold this over because this is nice to not have to get up in the morning, run down, throw your towels on a chair. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's my chair. That's and then I'm going to go back up to the room and put on the sunblock and all that other garbage. Yeah. Uh, I just, I can't stand that stuff. Um, so hopefully, you know, if there's a little bit more, I, I guess you want to say customer service, mm-hmm. you know, after this is all over. Um in terms of uh, people doing a little bit more at the ballparks just to kind of make it a little more enjoyable, open experience. But I, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, I have a feeling, I just keep having these feelings that it's just going to go back to a free for all once it's all over. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about another topic that I want to talk to you surrounding our, our Giants, which is the outlook of the team when it comes to these uh, older stars that that they have that have been with us for several years now and i wanted to look at who these who 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 those uh, the, the people that i flagged but i wanted to look at their contracts what they owe you know what the buyout is like and all that stuff and so i only grabbed five guys uh so the first one i grabbed Johnny Cueto so Johnny Cueto is 34 years old. He is coming off of a season in which, uh, you know, this this 60 game season. So you know, a little bit, a little bit over a third of the se- of a of a normal season. He went two and three, 5.40 ERA. Some of the other, uh, you know, super analytics stuff had him as like one of the worst starting pitchers in, in, in baseball. Um, and so, what are we what are we at for his the rest of his season? So he has uh, Giants owe him twenty one point eight million for twenty twenty one, and then for twenty twenty two, there's a team option: either they can pay him twenty two million to pitch, or they can buy him out for five million. I think I know what's going to happen there. But what what do you think about Johnny Cueto? What he could do possibly next year and. 
gosh, at 21.8 million, I don't imagine that they can actually trade him. But can he actually be above replacement player level for them, unlike he was this year? Well, I... <laughs> That, that's really a tough one because he's coming off the Tommy John surgery. Um, <clears throat> that was, you know, it came back the end of last year. This was his first season. I, you can't even call it a full season. I mean, you usually say this is his first full season after Tommy John. But he only pitched in, uh, what was it? Let me take a quick look here. Oh, I can't find how many games he pitched in. Uh, 12 games. Uh, so he only pitched in 12 games, only got 63 innings in this year. So what is next year? Is next year going to be really his first full season after Tommy John surgery? And who knows um, what next year even looks like? Exactly. I mean, is it, is it going to be 162 games? I would assume at this point, it's going to be 162 games. I also assume at this point that it's going to be eight playoff teams in each division. I, I, I don't see how they're not going to want to do that again next year. Um, there's going to be a lot more travel involved unless they do another bubble. Who knows? Um, so let's just assume at this point, next year is 162 games with uh, eight teams making it in the National League to the playoffs going forward here. Um, I say next year with Cueto, he would be a really good... Yes, he would be tough to trade, but if the Giants ate his contract, which they would have to do anyways, um, and at least got a player or mm -hmm. two, mid-range, not even a prospect, but some sort of bit player, um, and get rid of that contract and not even have to deal with the buyout... Um, let some other team deal with the buyout. Again, I'm not sure how that works in a trade. Um, but but if the Giants can get something out of him in the first half of next season and make that happen, I, I, I think that's a win right there for the Giants. All right, let's move on to a player who is very much near and dear to my heart. His name is Brandon Belt. <laughs> the Giants owe him $17.2 for the 20. 21 season and then he's off the books so he's going to be a free agent in that 2022 season do you think that makes him easier to trade just because he's he's going to be a free agent coming off of what was a pretty successful year you know we've, we've talked about this uh not not you and i but just giants fans in general have talked about the park, the park, you know, what if we brought in the fences? What would the offense look like? Well, in the first season that they did, you know, Brandon Belt hit uh, 309 with uh, nine homers and led the team or not. He didn't lead the team in RBIs. He was third in the team in RBIs, but he had a very successful season, actually led the team in OPS because he walked so much. So what does that look like for a team? Like, let's say a team who is at the end of the, at the, you know, nearing the end of next season, they need that one player who can ha who can hit a little bit, who can ha has some pop from the left side. Maybe there's a short porch involved on the right side. Is he actually tradable before his uh, for his uh, contract is over? I, you know, he's a tough one because if he had a typical Brandon Belt season this year, then I would say 
maybe he's not tradable at all. I mm-hmm. mean, who's going to take that 17.2 million? You know, at that point, it would be, you know, roughly what, eight million, eight and a half million um, by the time they can trade him in July. But the season that he had, it was a five year, $72 million deal to start with. And it took him that fourth year to kind of get things going. The new coaching staff um, has figured some things out for him. Um, let him kind of be more himself as a hitter. Gabe Kapler loves the guy. Um, he's a he's a guy who gets on base, and I think that's what this Giants team is all about right now. Um, he also has a ten team no trade clause, so he can he can basically say when it comes down to it, here's the ten teams I don't want to be traded to. He could list a bunch of playoff teams and force himself to stay there. I see Brandon Belt as a guy that's going to finish out his contract in San Francisco, and the Giants may try to, I mean, he's only 32, he'll be 33 next year. The Giants will then try to sign him to another two or three year deal. I see him being a first baseman for the San Francisco Giants for about three more years. Interesting. That That is a very interesting way to look at things because it felt like after last year that they would try to distance them, themselves from him in some way, if they could. But because he did have a, a really solid season, and you mentioned on base, you know, he, he does strike out a fair amount. But if you look at the strikeouts on that team, because you would think that Brandon Belt is one of the top strikeout guys on the team. So our top strikeout guy was also the team's offensive MVP, Mike Yastrzemski. He, he struck out 55 times. After that is a guy we're going to talk about in a second. Brandon Crawford struck out 47 times. Then it was uh, Solano. Then it was uh, tied was Dubon and uh, Brandon Belt. So he walked 30 times, tied for the the team lead with Yastrzemski, and only and struck out 36 times. So he still strikes out a fair amount, but his walk to strikeout number was really good. And I think the defense is is solid, maybe not spectacular, but but pretty solid. And I think. I don't know. I, I, I would hope that you're right, that he does stick around. But I do think if a team does want him and will give you, you know, you're not going to get, I don't think you'll get a top level prospect unless he's like an MVP candidate next year. But, you know, if you like, again, you you know, the, you, they, they may be playing it like you said, which is, well, we, we're going to sign him to less, but he loves being in the Bay Area. He doesn't have to uproot his home. And we'll, we'll have this little faith thing with him where we're not going to trade him, but we will bring him back and he's going to take less money. Maybe that's the case. But I do wonder if he does have another good year, the, the value for him may be too high to A, not trade him, and B, take a contract kind of on, on the uh, on the cheap coming back. So that'll be interesting. I think that that whole sort of plays into how he plays next year. One One half of the people who are listening to this are like, God, I love that guy. And the other half that are listening to this are like, God, how can we still on this team? <laughs> and I'm, and I know how you feel. And I think everybody who follows us on Twitter knows how you feel about <laughs> Brandon Belt. I, I've always been one of those guys who's like, I just want him to get going. Mm-hmm. I just want him to, you know, you know those streaks that he goes on. I just want a prolonged one of those streaks. And we got that this year, I mean, you know, 51 game sample out of him. Yeah. Um, but you project it and I don't want to be the project guy, but if you project the rest of the season, say 162 games, he's close to 30 home runs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that 
that's pretty awesome. Um, for Brandon Bell, who we who we always struggled to get to that twenty home run mark, yeah. but again, I th- I think he's found something with the coaching staff, the park, um, the park. I think everything just kind of has played well for him this year. Uh, I just don't, and and again with it's another thing I hate to say it, but I just don't think the DH is going away either. I think that's here that, to that's stay. a good point. That's a good yeah. point because if the DH stays in the NL, that opens up some spots for some guys as they age a little bit. Yeah, and I'm and another guy we're going to probably talk about here, Posey. I mean, Posey could be your DH. Everybody keeps talking, but move Posey to first, and Bart is the catcher, and Belt's gone. He can't do that anymore. Not after the season that Belt had. I don't. I mean, if if this team wants to try to sneak into a playoff spot and make some noise, you got to have Brandon Belt for the full season next year. All right, let us let's talk about one Gerald Demp Posey the <laughs> third, aka the bus stop. <laughs> how come? How come him and Will have like these funky names? <laughs> Will Nushler, the Nushler, Gerald Demp Posey. Well, you can't be a good baseball player with a boring. How many John Smiths do you know who crush the baseball? Mm. Yeah, I good don't point. know any. All right, so uh, one Buster Posey, he is 33 years of age currently. Next year, the Giants uh, are on the tap for $22.1 million for him. And I didn't know this, but in 2022, they could buy him out for $3 million. That is that's, interesting. <laughs> that's cheap. Um, you will lose a lot of fans if you do that. But again, it totally depends. You know, we didn't see him offensively this year. So we don't know. Had he played this year, he could have been the DH for quite a few games. Nice right-handed, solid contact hitter. Um, We could have seen, uh, you know, a year removed from the hip surgery with the power come back. Uh, with this new coaching staff and analytics and everything else. That's a good question, too. Has he been working with the coaching staff this year? Mm -hmm. Because I can't imagine he was sitting at home doing absolutely nothing. I I can't imagine Buster Posey just completely missed the entire year, wasn't getting any film, wasn't getting any anything from any of the coaches because then you got to come back next year and then all of a sudden pop in and you get this new coaching staff to you, the new coaching staff. If you're Buster Posey and you've been at home the entire season. So, um, so I think that'll be interesting. What, 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 what Buster Posey do we get at 34 years old next year? It's a good point though. The, the DH thing does make some difference because I don't know if he's ever going to hit for power, but if he doesn't have to worry about getting in the squat 130 times a year, does that really give give back some life to his offense? I think it does. I think it does too. And again, you know, the the, the hip surgery, he didn't have to squat at all this year except for pick up the babies, you know, squat down, pick up the babies. <laughs> Actually, that might be a lot of squatting. <laughs> no, that's <him>. true. <laughs> Change the diapers, squat back down. Yeah, that's a lot of work, especially with brand new twins. Um, but yeah, yeah, like you said, I mean, if, if he can DH, I mean, then again, in a whole whole other uh, uh, rabbit hole here, then, then if he DHs, what happens to his Hall of Fame status as a catcher from there? I, you know, everything kind of changes a bit. So what are what are his plans? What are the team's plans? Um, 
He has a full no trade clause. Um, so that's 2021 20, 20, and 2022 with that $3 million buyout. Um, you know, if those other contracts are gone, Belt, you know, and the other players we're going to talk about, if those contracts are off the books, $22 million in 2022 for a guy who can hit for solid contact and can put butts in the seats, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's a deal. All right, let's zip through these next two guys, these last two guys. I'm not going to consider Tony Watson because Tony Watson is the oldest of everybody, <laughs> but he's a free yeah. agent. <laughs> he's so, a- and, you know, he's only making three, he only made three million this year. So he, he's not really what we're looking for when it comes to guys who are heavy on these books. Okay, so let's talk about Evan Longoria. Now, his situation is a little bit different in that he is signed for like three more years. Yeah, so you're this talking is a to, tough one. This is this is a tough one and I think we're stuck with him, which is basically the the thing. And and look, he's a serviceable player. He he plays good defense. His offensive statistics have have dropped pretty much every year, give or take since 2012. But you're looking at a guy who is uh I think he is 34 four years old he just finished his 34 season 34 year old season with the giants and now let's look at this big daddy of a contract he is making so next year for 2021 18.6 million the rays eat two million of that in 2022 he makes 19.6 and the rays eat five of that and then in 2023, he makes 13, but it's a team option and a $5 million buyout. So he's, at, he's definitely here through the next two seasons. I, I cannot imagine they can trade him unless he just goes nuts uh, and, and you know, turns back the clock to uh, you know, 2011 or something. So they're on the hook, probably more than likely. Uh, he's you know he's going to play a decent third base. He's going to be good for the team in the locker room. I think I think he's valuable to some extent on a team that is maybe a little bit younger. Though you know the Giants don't have a lot of prospects. What they have is guys in their like late twenties and early thirties who Zadie found you know in the in, in his in his way of finding guys who are maybe a bit underappreciated and and now have found a way to to play every day. So I think he's valuable in in that standpoint. But you know if you expect him to sit there in the middle of your order and hit you know and drive in runs, you're probably going to be a little disappointed. Uh, yeah, and th- th- this one when when you talked about you know and the, uh, you know said hey I want to talk about contracts of the older guys on the show today and and I started going down the list and I got to him and I started looking at those numbers I go <laughs> oh my god if you're a GM who didn't make this deal yeah and now you've got to try to figure out what to do with the guy you're just you're eating this money. I mean, Longoria is not horrible. Let's not, you know, let's not paint that color on the guy. He hit 250 this year, um, seven home runs, 28 ribs. Uh, on base percentage was only 297. Uh, his OPS was 722. So, not, you know, not crazy great numbers. Struck out a lot, like you mentioned earlier. Um, solid defense at third, may, still makes some great plays at third base. Uh, but I think what you have to look at here is who's behind him. There, there really is nobody 
in the Giants organization that's ready to pop in and take over a third base spot. You know who I wanted to play third was Buster. Well, that I mean, he probably could. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, he's a college shortstop. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's that possibility. Marco Luciano, um, he, you know, he's he's still young. He's a shortstop. They say that he can stay at shortstop, that he could be the the, the successor to Brandon Crawford someday. Um, he can also play third base. He can kind of play all over the place. Wilmer Flores has played some third base. Um, but again, you don't have anybody who's ready to plug in there and, and – um, save some runs for you at third base. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of how you have to look at this. You know, Longoria is a run saver at third base. Keep him there. 18.5 is a lot next year. Uh, and then 19.5 is a lot. The $5 million buyout in 2023 probably happens. Um, because by then he'll be 38, 38 year old third baseman. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. And you talked about, uh, Luciano, AKA Lucky Luciano. <laughs> That's he, his new name, huh? <laughs> he I mean he he's still only like 18 years old. So he it, you know, he's probably closer to 3 years away, 4 years away than 2 years away just because of the the age thing, but I mean, you know, from all from everything everyone says, I mean, he's the Giants' number one prospect and he is supposed to be the real deal. So I'm definitely looking forward to watching him over the years. Uh, if I mean if if we ever have minor league baseball again, and um, and so <laughs> and so point. yeah so so Longoria unfortunately you know the thing that Longoria doesn't have that these other guys have oh except for Cueto but I think a lot of people have uh, Cueto uh, just just because of his good nature like they really they really love him but you know P- Posey and Belt and uh, well the last guy we'll talk about which is Crawford they're all homegrown so you know they've been with this team for a while and you know Longoria came over so he doesn't have that same relationship with the fan base who will put up with Buster not being Buster just because they remember what he was like and Longoria doesn't have that yeah I think that's the hard part um but you you know we look at these guys too and and when you follow guys like Longoria on social social media he fits San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he is that nice guy. He's that good guy who sticks up for everybody. Um, all, you know, shapes, sizes, creeds, colors. He, he is that guy. Um, he believes in everybody, um, and everything. So he fits well in San Francisco. So he's a good clubhouse guy. Again, Kapler loves the guy. Um, so you kind of, you kind of got to stick with them for the next couple of years and eat that contract. They're going to be out, you know, from a lot of money, some margins, you know, off the books next year. Um, Watson, again, the, the only 3 million, but he's off the books. And then in two years, if Belton Crawford are both let's say they're gone or their contracts come down, there's going to be a lot of money opening up. So that 19.5 in 2022 may not look as bad as it does now. All right. So the last one, Brandon Crawford. Now, interestingly enough, you wouldn't have guessed this, but this shortened season that we just had was the best season for Brandon Crawford when it came to the following category of statistics slugging percentage uh, and OPS. 
He was very close with on base. Uh, his uh, his 2016 year, where he hit the highest average that he's ever hit, 275. His uh, his on base was higher than this year's on base. But yeah, you would have never thought that from a slugging and OPS standpoint, this was your best Brandon Crawford career season. But those smaller sample size. Um, but I would have never thought that. Even o- OPS plus, which you know is a little bit more advanced and I, I I understand it, but it's like, not like my go-to stat. Oh, just check out his OPS plus. <laughs> right. That dude was awesome. Um, <laughs> no, the, the OPS plus has always been one of those weird things. I think it's kind of a, a break it down stat for people like 100 is the average. Yeah. Yeah. So your OPS plus 122. I don't know what that means, <laughs> but, but I can tell you that, you know, 792 is good. Up in the 900 range is great. Over 900 at the end of the thousand. When you get to the awesome. Joe, the Joe Morgan 1000. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I the other thing about OPS is I think they adjust to ballparks. So that's the other thing. That's true. The OPS plus. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So Brandon Crawford. Now, what do the Giants owe one Brandon Crawford? So his uh, his 2021 season where uh, he's currently 34. He is owed $15.2 million. Now, the one thing about him, which has always been stellar, has been the defense. And he will still make plays. The range is not quite there. The The high analytics for defense definitely show that he is coming back down to earth when he was kind of, you know, all world defensively going back, you know, five years ago, four years ago. So what do you do? Do you expect... So I'm assuming that you expect Crawford to stay with this team cuz it's probably pretty hard to trade. I, I, you don't usually see, you know, defensive shortstops who uh you know, who don't hit for high average get traded to to teams during the midseason, but maybe there's a team that, you know, that they they are heavy on the offense and they just need someone to kind of hold steady in the middle infield. But I would expect him to stay with this team and sort of ride the rest of this contract out and then sort of figure out what to do in 2022. Well, in 2022, Lucky Luciano is going to be probably around 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems to be the new norm now for guys coming up. Um, it, things have changed, I think, over the last couple of years. I mean, you see guys like Juan Soto coming up. Uh, a lot of other players coming up just around 20 years old. Uh, it's kind of started with Bryce Harper. Um, so that kind of seems to be the new norm at that point, Crawford's going to be a free agent. Luciano could be the plug-in guy at that point, but do you, is this the type of, uh, organization that will just take a 20 year old and plug him in? We seem to be a little more, um, about kind of baking the guy in the minors for, for another year or so getting him, you know, couple hundred more at bats and well, uh, also you know they don't want to start the arbitration <laughs> yeah, well that too <laughs> that too i mean you you see that in toronto but toronto finally just said out of hell with it you know we want to start winning so they went ahead and brought up guerrero and bichette and brought all those guys up um and so yeah it, it's that's gonna be a tough one i i I don't think you can move Crawford, like you said, in the middle of the season because you know you've got a light hitting shortstop with decent defense. Uh, I'd say I'd say better than decent, obviously. Yeah, he's um, good. He's I think he's just still still a good defender. 
Yeah, still a good defender. Um, San Francisco guy through and through. I mean, famous for the picture of him holding up a sign at Candlestick Park as a Giants fan, as a kid. Um, I think you keep the guy around. And, and again, a lot of this is going to play into our fans in the ballpark next year. Mm-hmm. Because if the Giants aren't necessarily winning, you can't move a Crawford. You can't move a belt. Uh, because they're probably not playing well and they're going to keep people in the seats to the end to watch these guys finish out their contracts. Now Crawford does have a full no trade contract, uh, no trade clause. So he would have to waive that for sure. Right. right. Um, So that depends on what he wants to do with that as well. But I see him playing out 2021 with the giants and probably not being back after that. All right, so the last segment of this show is our Greatest Giants Team Tournament of all time. It is the 2010 Giants against the 2000 Giants. And talk about this sec- uh, talk, talk about this part of the tournament. Who, what, were the, um, what were the rankings? And then how did it play out? Well, this was the number two seed 2010 World Series champions against the 2000 NLDS uh, losers. So the number two seed against the number 10 seed. The number two seed was 2010. The way they got here was the 2010 team, Pat uh, Burrell, had just a crazy good series against the 2004 91 win team. Uh, They won that series four games to one. And then the 2000 team got there by beating the 1971 team four games to one. Um, So this one kind of started out a little bit with a couple of nail biters. Um, 2010 team won a couple of uh, one run games, four to three and then five to four. Uh, So they took a 2-0 lead. Uh, the 2000, t- uh, the 2000 team then in game three, won eight to three. And as we've seen in, in out of the park baseball, I thought, Oh, the, the bats are alive. <laughs> the 2000 offensive team is just going to now crush this 2010 team. They're going to come back and it's going to get ugly. That's not at all what happened. The 2010 team, then the pitching locked down again. They won the next game five to three. And then the final game, they out, they just slugged on the 2000 team and they won nine to two. So they won this series four games to one. Buster Posey got the MVP. He hit 409 in the five game series with a home run and seven ribs. Um, here's the weirdest stat. And I kept texting you. I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. But 2,000 Barry Bonds in a five-game <laughs> series went 0 for 20. You even, even Calvin Murray had a hit in this series. <laughs> That's Ramon right. E. Martinez had one hit in this series. And Jeff Kent, who was on fire in the uh, series against the 1971 team, and he won the MVP in there, I mean, he just mashed the ball. He hit. He was four for seventeen with one run driven in. He mm-hmm. hit two thirty five. So pitching the two thousand ten teams pitching again dominated. They are now in the final four. Um, they are going to take on the winner of the series that is the nineteen ninety seven NLDS team against the nineteen sixty six ninety three win team. So you still have 
left in this uh, in the second round, you still have two Bonds teams and two Willie Mays teams. Um, so that'll I be. I tell you, Bonds better get a hit in the next <laughs> series if he thinks if he expects ninety seven to win. Well, in the next series of the two thousand two team against the nineteen sixty five team, so that one should be a bit of a slugfest. But we've seen with those sixty teams, Marischal and uh, Gaylord Perry do have a tendency to shut people down. Um, and if they get past the 2002 team, well, guess who they have after that? The 2003 team. So they oh, go wow. from one year right into the next year and have to shut them down. So. <laughs> but looking at this series, it was a pretty fun series. Lincecum uh, was 2-0. and He also could have gotten the MVP. He was 2-0, and 15 innings, um, walked six, only struck out eight, gave up 12 hits, had a 2.93 ERA. Um, Santiago Casilla, uh, tough series, he, one and a third innings, gave Ugh. up four hits, walked three, uh, had an ERA of 33. Javi Lopez also towards the end, the last two games, he had some key outs, uh, early in the series didn't fare too well, but he well, had a couple Bochi of must've put him against right-handed hitters or something. He did. You know what? And that was the funny thing is even though I had it set to the 2010 settings, uh, he came in to face a left-hander in the last couple of games and stayed in to face a couple of right-handers, mm-hmm. which you never saw in that 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14 season. You really didn't see that happen very much with uh, with uh, Javi. All right. So um, the, the only thing that I have to add to that is, once again, Levon Hernandez let everyone down. I, I think I mentioned on this show that I, I poor, tried to get a saying. I tried to get a saying going for the 2002 World Series team, which was, "I believe on in Levon." I didn't really believe on. I just tried to do something to to try and like you will to him will, to victory, yeah. and it didn't work. And and it didn't work here too. He he got blasted in both games against Lincecum. Uh, you know who lost the key game for them in Game Four, that 2000 team. The great Miguel del Toro. Oh, wow. He got smoked. He didn't get the loss in that game, but he got smoked when he came in. Um, gave up a, a key home run. Uh, the 2000 team tried to climb back in, but at one point it was like three to one, and he came, um, came in and gave up a two-run shot to the great Cody Ross, who was due for a home run in the series. Um, Ross ended up hitting uh, 353 in the series with a home run and three driven in but Miguel del Toro that's a name that's one of those names and in Giants lore you think back and you go did we have a guy named Miguel del Toro I don't remember if you were to ask me right now yes or no was Miguel del Toro on the 2000 I would have said no I'd be like who's that yeah John Johnstone sure Aaron Foltz yep Alan Embry on the other on the other side Ramon Ramirez it's like oh yeah I kind of remember him yeah vaguely yeah Guillermo Guillermo Moda the former Dodger I remember when that's how I I remember him more so that's exactly yeah All right, so uh, the next matchup uh, will be, uh, what, what did you say, the next matchup? 2002 versus 66? Uh, 2002 against 65. 65. And right. then after that, 97 against 66. So you gotta, we got all those teams kind of right around the mid-60s. We still have those early 2000s teams and one late 90s team still kind of hanging around. So That is awesome. All right, so uh, thanks to the folks who are listening to us 
wherever you find podcasts. Uh, we really appreciate you hanging out. And also, now that we're putting our our uh, podcast on YouTube, all the people who are listening it, listening to it on YouTube, we appreciate you. We're going to do more YouTube stuff. We just got to sort of figure out exactly what that is, and hopefully it'll be some fun stuff. But uh, yeah, so for Brad, I'm Double G. We'll see you when we see you. Peace out. Peace. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.